This is a reminder, you're listening to the delayed broadcast here on Faith FM. If you would like to listen to the live show live and participate in the quiz and the prizes and all the other fun things that happen on Faith FM Breakfast Show, then simply download the Faith FM app available on Apple or Android platforms. Welcome back, everybody. That was Matt Minicus. Uh, with I Need Thee Every Hour. You're listening to Faith FM. We're about to have another clue for our quiz. Nobody's got the prize yet, so give us a call right now. 1-800-324-843 is the number to call. Lawson, what have you got for us for our next clue? Oh, (laughs) who am I? My husband told the Philistines that I was his sister because they feared that they would, because he feared that they would kill him. That's a bit of a loser of a thing to do. That's a serious, serious loser right there of a thing to do. That is yeah, you know, a rough gig. So much for uh, somebody standing up for, um, for you know, their, for their wife and being prepared to give their life in defence of their wife. It's like, oh no, take her and just let me let me live. <laughs> Here, please take her, take ooh, her and go. Ooh. She's just my sister. She's not my wife. You know, rough. Yeah, rough. Really, really rough. Okay, if you know the answers to who this was, then uh, who, who the wife was, you can give us a call. 1-800-324-843 is the number to call. Lawson and Kelvin, we are studying a new Bible study this week. Yes, we are. Oh, we need that microphone on. There we go. There we go. Yeah. Go 2020. Yep. And new lesson, here is the new news. Year. This is going to be my favorite Bible study of the year. I can tell you that I don't know what the other four Bible studies this year are going to be, but I can already tell you that this one is going to be my favorite. I'm going to oppose you on that. That's a big statement. Okay. Just Go ahead and oppose me. Because you don't know. <laughs> no, I do know. I do know this is going to be my favorite one for this year. No, you don't. I am prophesying this is going to be my favorite one this year. Why is that, Lyle? Because it's the book of Daniel. And I love the book of Daniel. It's one of my favorite books of the Bible, and I'm super excited to be getting into the book of Mm. Daniel. Okay, so we're going to begin by having a bit of an overview. We're going to do a historical overview. We're going to look at uh, a number of the big themes that you find coming through the book of Daniel. Um, and we are going to then start digging into it. But let's begin by going to Daniel chapter 1 and verse 1. Always a good place to start. Mm -hmm. Okay, Lawson, why don't you read for us verse 1 and 2, please? The Bible says, During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim, of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Okay, right here we are introduced to the theme of the book of Daniel. The entire theme of the book of Daniel is summarized in these two verses right here. Uh-huh. Okay, so Kelvin, uh, a couple of questions for you. How many... Kings, do we have mentioned here, and what are their names? Jehoiakim. Yes. Nebuchadnezzar, but he's king of Babylon. Yes, so we've got two kings that are mentioned. Yep. All right, how many countries are included in these two verses? 
two kings, I'm guessing two countries. Okay, and they so are the countries of? Judah and Babylon. Judah and Babylon. So it's important for us to remember this is not the nation of Israel. Mm. This is the nation of Judah. The nation of Judah is made up of the tribe of Judah, Benjamin, and some Levites. There was a civil war many, many, many years and many, many, many kings before this where the nation divided into two. And you had Israel in the north and you had Judah in the south. This is the nation of Judah that we're dealing with. Okay, Kelvin, how many cities do we have here? These two verses. Well, it talks about Babylon. Babylon's okay, Babylon a is city. mentioned. Yes, Babylon's a city. Uh, is there another one? Um, well, actually, we're talking about the land of Shinar. Yeah, that's not actually a city, though. That's a no, region. We're no. looking for a city. So we've got uh, we've got two kings. We've got Jehoiakim. Jerusalem. Uh, okay, okay, okay. All right. So let's 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 put this together. We have two kings: Nebuchadnezzar and Jehoiakim. True. We have two nations: Babylon. And Judah. A big and we have two cities. Think mm-hmm. about this. Babylon and Jerusalem, and they are in conflict with each other. Mm-hmm. Okay, stop and just dwell on that for a moment. Babylon and Jerusalem are in conflict with each other. Uh-huh. Now... Lawson, I can see, is about jumping out of his chair over here with anticipation because he wants to just launch into it. Um, The book of Revelation. What two cities do we have mentioned in the book of Revelation that are in conflict with each other? Jerusalem and Babylon. Okay, and that has now taken us down to the very end of Mm. time. Yes. So when in your opening verses to the book of Daniel, you have Babylon and you have Jerusalem being mentioned, Mm. that should twig your mind straight away that, wait a minute, wait, 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 there's going to be more to this book than it meets the eye. And then when you see that they are in conflict with each other, now you know Mm. the theme of the book of Daniel is the great controversy. Yes, yes. we know Babylon is the city of confusion. Yes. Uh-huh. And we know Jerusalem is the city of peace. That's right. Mm. So har- peace and harmony is at odds with confusion. You can't have harmony mm. and peace when you've got confusion. So here you've got, it, just in there, understanding the definition of the names, there's also conflict Indeed. in these as yeah. well. I think this is awesome too because like, this is when the type comes into its own. This is when the object lesson of Jerusalem and Babylon comes into its own. Before this point, you had Babylon. It was the city of confusion. It was created by Nimrod. It was like all these things. But up until this point, it was just a nation. That's right. S- similar to Egypt, you know, yeah, before, yeah. before Egypt and after Egypt's run in with, with, you know, Jer- with Judah and Israel, like it was just a nation. Whereas this is when we, when we come to this book, this is this setting the stage for, for us to understand the the type and the anti-type. This is really like when, you, as you said, as it comes into this, now Babylon and Jer- Jerusalem, they're at odds with one another. This mm-hmm. is like, okay, this is, we have to be looking at this like with all of our eyes open. With and so much everything. of the language of Revelation is drawn from the experience of what the Jews go through at mm. this particular time. You know, even when you, you come to, the remnant motif 
that you have in Revelation where the Bible is talking about a remnant who are saved, those that small number that go to the promised land. Mm. You know, and you, and you look at the Jewish captivity that Daniel and his friends are about to go into, and they're there for 70 years, and a remnant come back to the promised land. You know, you've got this remnant motif once again that uh, where you've got these people coming back to the promised land. Which, of course, we went over, you know, in our last 20 million movement lesson, you know, in the last quarter, it was all about the end to this story of, you know, the, the freedom from captivity. And now it's like we've started at the end. And we're kind of going back to the we're going back to the start. We're seeing well, what what was the conflict? What was this controversy? And what you know? Where does this type of because oh, when we looked at Nehemiah, there were so many themes like protruding out that was like, oh, they're they're coming out of captivity into the promised land. This is just you know this is like the end times. This is like you know God's people being saved and the second coming of Jesus and the release of captivity. This is like the greatest thing ever. Well, now we're actually seeing you know the real meat of that story of like you know yeah, what is the type of that? Okay, okay, okay. So now we've got our theme. Mm-hmm. We now need to discover our central figure. Yes. Who is the central figure of the book of Daniel? God. Yes. <laughs> Just a tad more specific. I cheated. I looked at my lesson. Okay, okay. So 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 um so Kelvin has uh he has got a copy of the uh, 20 million movement bible study guide it's not called that it's called something else i don't know what it's called but it's uh yeah, it's called daniel there you go yeah and if you'd like a copy of that you can give us a call 1-800-324-843 and you can follow along and you'll have a rough idea of where we're going although we do stray from it on occasions um and so he's done a little bit of cheating right there but lawson seeing yes. as you haven't read ahead uh-huh. let me throw some questions at you okay we're looking for a central figure to the book of Daniel. Is it Daniel? Of course, it's God. We understand that. But I want to be a little bit more specific than that. Because in Daniel, you have somebody popping up in the Old Testament that is not so common. And then you find that person right the way through the book. Mm. Okay, so I want you to ask, let me ask you this question. When you go to Daniel chapter 2, Yes. You have the coming of the rock. Yes. Who is the rock a symbol of? Jesus. Okay, so that rock is a symbol of Jesus. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. So Jesus is God. We get that. Yeah. But he's a particular member of the Godhead. Yes. Okay. Daniel chapter 3. Who stands... With the three worthies in the fiery furnace. What does the Bible say? It says the one looking like the Son of God. The Son like of, the son of God. God. Mm. Okay, I think, and you could correct me on this, this, is the first time in the Bible that Jesus is called the Son of God. The begotten. Mm. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Okay, then we go to um, a number of chapters where Jesus is implied. So in chapter 4, you have Nebuchadnezzar's conversion experience, his personal testimony. Mm -hmm. Conversion comes about by Jesus Christ. Mm. Then you go to chapter 5, where you have the judgment Mm. of, um, of Belshazzar. And the Bible says that Jesus, the Father judges no man, but Jesus is our judge. 
But also in chapter 5, you have the coming of Cyrus the Persian, who comes from the east. Mm. Where does Jesus come from when he returns? The east. Okay. And what does Jesus do in relationship to God's people when he returns? He saves them. And takes them to the promised land, right? Yeah. And Cyrus the Persian comes from the east and sends God's people to the promised land. Yes. And in the Bible, Cyrus is called a number of things. In Isaiah chapter 44, Isaiah is called the shepherd. Mm. Who is Jesus called? He's the shepherd. Uh, Yes. And then Isaiah is also, sorry, Cyrus, who comes in chapter 5, is also called the Messiah Mm. in Isaiah 45. The Messiah. Mm. Okay, so we've got the coming of the Messiah in chapter 5. Chapter 6, you've kind of got a repeat. Um, of chapter 3. Then in chapter 7, let's go over to chapter 7 real quick. And um, Kelvin, I'll get you to read me this uh, verse right here. Let me just find it. Daniel chapter 7. And we will go down to, I think it's verse 13. Yes, verse 13. Please, Kelvin. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion Mm. which shall not pass away and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. Okay, our next prophecy... That's, that's the first. That's the sorry. That's the second prophecy of Daniel chapter of the book of Daniel. Our next prophecy in the book of Daniel is the prophecy of eight and nine. And so nine is the completion of chapter eight, and the prophetic part of chapter nine is all about one individual. Let's go over there very quickly. Uh, Daniel chapter nine, and let's go down to. Uh, Let me see here. Yep. Verse 25. Who is this prophecy all about? Verse 25, please, Lawson. Now listen and understand. Seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven uh, will pass from the time the command is to rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler, the anointed one, comes. Jerusalem will be rebuilt with the streets and strong defenses despite the perilous times. Okay, the anointed one right there. Mm. The word for anointed one is the Messiah. Yeah. Okay, so that's then you go to the next chapter. You go to chapter 10, and oh, in chapter 10... This. It's like in, my favorite part of the book of Daniel. It's okay, so, so you good. go to chapter 10. It's, it's, a, it's a behind... behind the, what has happened there? What's happening to my phone? Lyle's audio Bible is playing. How do I shut this yes. off? The play bar's at the bottom. Hit the arrow. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> voice style. 2020, Lyle discovers what audiobooks are. <laughs> <laughs> what a way to start the decade. <laughs> All right, let's go down to... Oh, let me just skip through a few verses here. Oh, I'm in chapter 9 still. Where am I? How do I get to... What is we want chapter ten, don't we? We don't want chapter ten. Yes, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. This is the one we're after. He sees somebody. Uh, verse five and six, please, Kelvin. Let me find five and six. Okay, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen 
whose waist was girded with gold of Euphaz. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in colour, and the sounds of his words like the voice of a multitude. Yeah. <laughs> oh, didn't, didn't quite so make it there. Sorry. I tried. The voice try. of a of multitude. multitude. <laughs> All right. So then we go to chapter 12 and verse 1, please, Lawson. Uh, and the Bible says in chapter 12 and verse 1, At that time, Michael the archangel, who stands guard over the nations, uh, will arise. Then there will be a time of anguish greater than any since nations first came into existence but at that time every one of your people whose names is written in the book will be rescued okay so let's let's look at the book, book of daniel for a moment we've got 12 chapters right mm-hmm. we've got four ah, prophecies 12 chapters uh-huh. 12, uh-huh. four prophecies 12 mm-hmm. chapters four prophecies and a bunch of historical events that take place here you have uh the first place in the bible i think it's the first place in the bible no it's not actually isaiah might be the first one. But one of the very, very, very few Old Testament passages where Jesus is referred to as the Son of God. And that happens twice. Um, we've got Jesus referred to as the rock. Mm. We've got Jesus referred to as the Messiah. Mm. We've got Jesus described in chapter 10 in his glorified body. Um, and we have Jesus referred to as Michael. If you've got a question about that, please send it through. That does not imply that Jesus is a created being. He mm. is the self-existent, eternal God, ruler, and creator of the universe. Oh, one of the coolest things, just quickly, about chapter ten is not only is he refer- like he's referred to, but he's called. He's basically he's described as the high priest as well. Yes, which is so cool because yes. it's the same description that we find in Revelation chapter. One, where he's also the high priest, and it's like, you know, which fulfills all this prophecy about him being our high priest and him doing the work to save us and stuff. So it's like just the best. So if you look at your four prophetic chapters, right, your four prophecies, Mm. not prophetic chapters, there's more chapters than that, but there's four prophecies. If you look at your four prophecies, in the first one, the culmination of the prophecy is the coming of Jesus. Mm. In the second one, the very center of the prophecy is the coming of Jesus Mm. in judgment. In the third one, the focus of the prophecy is, first of all, the coming of Jesus as Messiah, and then secondly, the coming of Jesus um, in judgment. Mm. Then you go to the last prophecy, and the last prophecy is sandwiched between a physical description of Jesus and then a description of his return. Mm. Then if you go to your historical chapters, you've got Jesus literally physically appearing in the fiery furnace Mm. in chapter 3. Then in chapter 5, you've got Cyrus turning up as a type or a symbol of Jesus Christ. Mm. And so what you've got is that the central figure throughout the book is Jesus all the way through. So we've got our theme and we've got our central figure so far. Our theme is the great controversy. Our central figure is Jesus Christ. Wow. Hmm. Okay, that gives us a bit of a foundation on which to start our investigation of this particular prophecy. Now, um, during the break, Kelvin was asking a question. 
Kelvin was asking Lawson whether he liked apocalyptic prophecy or classical prophecy better. And mm. where did he spend more time? So, Lawson, what was your answer? Uh, apocalyptic prophecy. And why do you spend more time in apocalyptic prophecy? Because Jesus is coming soon. And it's like... Yeah, yeah, it makes it super relevant. Right? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, this is by far the most relevant thing to my life. And I'm, you know, and I love it. I love preaching about it. I love speaking about it. I love everything about it. So that is definitely where I spend most of my time. And Kelvin, you spend more time in classical prophecy. Why is that? Well, I think classical prophecy helps you to understand a little bit more of mm. apocalyptic. Like apocalyptic, you've, I, th- I think you've got to have a certain amount of background knowledge. And I'm probably not there yet. Who um, is? Well, we're all learning. <laughs> but I, I think classical really helps to add your depth of knowledge to apocalyptic. So yeah. I, I think you can't study one without the other. Oh, 100%. Yeah. All right. So we're, we're going to come back in just a moment. And we are going to answer the question as to uh, which one I like better. Oh. <laughs> classical or apocalyptic and why? Look. But right now we're going to listen to the Emmanuel Quartet with Size of the Rock. Moses was just a baby boy When his mama put him in her boat And the river took him home He met a pretty princess And it wasn't enough Till I heard a voice from a burning bush Saying, tell old Pharaoh to let my people go free David was just a shepherd boy When the prophet said he would be king Even though he was the youngest son He heard about a giant Went to see the king Grabbed a bag of petals and he sung his sling And the rock of ages brought the mighty giant to his knees Well, you may feel a bit insignificant When you're standing next to one of those men But there was nothing special about him Until they let the Holy Spirit in And with a mighty hand They took their stand While everybody else is making cheap talk It's not the size of the man that matters All that matters is the size of the rock Have you heard about the baby king Heard those herald angels sing He was the father's only son He taught us about heaven We nailed him to the tree But in three days he was alive and free Because the heart of the rock Was mightier than the stone So the next time you feel insignificant When you're standing next to one of those men like there is nothing special about ya Just let the Holy Spirit in And with a mighty hand You'll take your stand While everybody else is making cheap talk 
It's not the size of the man that matters. All that matters is the size of the rock. Mighty hand, take your stand. Listen to me, brother, because I'm talking to you. Jesus is the only one that carry you through. All that matters is the size of the rock. Welcome back, guys. That was Emmanuel Quartet with The Size of the Rock. You're listening to Faith FM. We are in our 20 million movement Bible study, 20 million people studying about the book of Daniel this morning. And we were having a conversation about the advantages and disadvantages and the likes and dislikes between classical prophecy and apocalyptic prophecy. Before we come to my opinion, we probably should... Maybe give a little bit of an idea of the difference between the two. Kelvin, what's the difference? What are some of the differences between classical prophecy and apocalyptic prophecy? Well, classical prophecy is dealing with that particular time period, not so much uh, before or after. It's really dealing with the issues around that time. Okay. And apocalyptic prophecy, Lawson? It is all pointing towards the end of time, you know, the, the end of the world. All right. So... When a prophet comes along and gives specific instruction about events that are about to take place, in other words, Hezekiah comes to, uh, sorry, Isaiah comes to Hezekiah and says, "Don't worry about the Assyrians coming down." That would be classical prophecy. Mm. And where John the Revelator talks about a beast rising out of the sea, that would be apocalyptic prophecy. Yes. In fact, the Book of Revelation is called the Apocalypse. Mm. Uh, part of the whole deal. All right, so some of the differences, some of the contrast that you'll see between the two is that um, typically, and not exclusively, typically apocalyptic prophecy is based around visions where the prophet sees something and writes down what he sees versus classical prophecy, which is often the prophet comes to somebody and says, well, the word of the Lord came to me and the word of the Lord said, this is what God said. Mm. Uh, often you will find in uh, apocalyptic prophecy a heavy use of symbols. So mm. Revelation chapter 13, you have an animal that it has you know, the body of a uh, leopard. It has the face or head of a bear, has the feet of a lion, has the power of the dragon. Mm. That's a composite animal that's very, very clearly a symbol. Um, whereas in classical prophecy, you'll often have very, very little language, you know, 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. Yeah. Simple as that. And then you have conditional versus unconditional. Why we're talking about 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed, was Nineveh destroyed? No. No, because in classical prophecy, um, it is often conditional. Mm. Nineveh will be destroyed unless the Assyrians repent. Mm. Uh, whereas because apocalyptic prophecy is end time and a long way in the future, it tends to be a lot more unconditional. Mm. The fact that Jesus is returning is an unconditional fact. Yes. It's going to happen. It's as simple as that. Um, and so there is a less conditional aspect to apocalyptic prophecy. So these are some of the differences between the two. Okay, so which one do I like the best? I have spent most of my life studying apocalyptic prophecy. However... In recent times, I've lent much more towards classical prophecy 
Because what I find is that the historical aspect of classical prophecy is what brings apocalyptic prophecy really truly alive. And the Mm. more you understand about history and the more you understand about what God's people were going through and why God said to do the things that he said to do, then the more you will be able to understand what apocalyptic prophecy is all about. For instance, we were talking about Cyrus the Persian in our last section. And when you understand the history of Cyrus the Persian and the classical prophecy about Cyrus, you know, thus says the Lord of Cyrus, you know, though you did not know me, I have named you. Before, you know, you were created. 150 years before he came along, God comes in the name Cyrus, and then God tells uh, us a whole bunch of things that Cyrus will do. Mm. Okay, that helps us to understand history because it's going to confirm for us a lot of things that, for instance, Herodotus talks about. Um, and Herodotus, of course, was a Greek historian who's um, often referred to as the father of history or alternatively the father of lies uh, because <laughs> it's like, well, what do you believe that Herodotus says and what do you not believe that Herodotus says? But when the Bible says the same thing that Herodotus says, then you know what you can believe. Mm. And so when the Bible says that you know, the, the gates were left open to the city of Babylon, and Herodotus says exactly the same thing, then we have confirmation that the gates were actually left open and that's how Cyrus took the city. Mm. Getting slightly sidetracked here. But um, classical prophecy brings that whole story to life that you have in Daniel chapter 5. You know, that it, 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 it creates for us that type and anti-type of Jesus Christ where Cyrus comes from the east. He destroys the city of Babylon. He releases God's people. He sends them back to the promised land. Um, He's called the shepherd. He's called the deliverer. Um, He's called the Messiah. Mm. You know, these are all symbols of Jesus Christ. You know, he dries up the river Euphrates, and you've got the same thing in Revelation chapter 16 where Jesus comes back, dries up the river Euphrates. He comes from the east. He delivers God's people. He sends them through to the promised land. And so it's classical prophecy that really brings Revelation chapter 16, for instance, alive. Mm. And so both these parts, I I tend to think that certain portions of Christians focus on different areas of the Bible, sometimes to the exclusion of other areas. And so this this is just my observation. And you might say, Lyle is way off. Well, that's fine. This is my opinion. I'll share my opinion you can feel free to disagree to your heart's content because you will be wrong. Um, <laughs> no, you, you might be wrong. You might not. I don't know. But my opinion is that when I look out at Christianity, I see that um, Seventh-day Adventists, uh, which we are here on Faith FM, and Pentecostals tend to focus more on apocalyptic prophecy. Mm-hmm. We love our apocalyptic prophecy. We have some great disagreements with each other, with each other you know, between historicism, preterism, and futurism. We'll talk more about that in a future study. Um, but we love to study apocalyptic prophecy. Then you have uh, some of your other denominations, like your Baptists and so forth, that tend to be more New Testament Christians. And so they will. They love to focus on the Pauline epistles and the Gospels and and and, and these kinds of uh, passages of the Bible. But you know, I just don't see a lot of groups within Christianity that focus their attention on classical prophecy and the history 
that goes along with classical prophecy, and yet mm. it is history that brings the present alive. Yeah, it's it's that information that actually gives us context to what we're reading. You know, yes, in in Revelation, for example, because the number one rule of history is that history is cyclical. Mm. History repeats itself, and if you want to understand the present, all you have to do is to find the equivalent time period in history in the cycle that we are in, and you can understand the future. So you agree with King Solomon, there is nothing new under the sun. It's just Absolutely. repeated over, 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 over again, 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 and again. Yeah, and this is, this is something that's interesting that has been taking place amongst historians. Recently there has been this debate over whether history is cyclical or not. Now the Bible says that history is cyclical. Solomon says that, we don't have to worry about it. That's a biblical principle. But there is a debate, and it's interesting to see what is driving the debate. Um, over whether history is cyclical or not. Because when you look at history, it is the most obvious part of history is that history is cyclical and that it repeats itself. Mm. The question is, in the last decade, we've just come, to, we just started a new decade to yesterday. I was going to say today, but yesterday. In the last decade, we've had a new breed of historians who have come along and argued that history is not cyclical and it's a reflection of our current culture and we're going to discuss why when we come back in just a moment. This is Jars of Clay with If I Stand. There's more that rises in the morning than the sun And more that shines in the night than just the moon more than just this fire here that keeps me warm In a shelter that is larger than this room And there's a loyalty that's deeper than mere sentiment And a music higher than the songs that I can sing Stuff of earth competes for the allegiance I owe only to the giver of all good things so if I stand, let me stand on the promise You'll pull me through And if I can't, let me fall on the grace That first brought me to you So if I sing, let me sing for the joy That is born in me these songs If I weep, let it be as a man who is longing for his home. There's more that dances on the prairies than the wind, and more that pulses in the ocean than the tide. There's a love that's fiercer than the love between friends, more gentle than a mother's. When her baby's at her side And there's a loyalty that's deeper than mere sentiment And a music higher than the songs that I can sing The stuff of earth competes for the allegiance I owe only to the giver of all good things So if I stand, let me stand on the promise That you'll pull me If I can't let me fall on the grace that first brought me to you 
I'm Julia from Warrigal Seventh-day Adventist Youth. We meet every Saturday morning at 10am for an open discussion about Bible topics concerning our youth today. We're open to everyone wanting to join us and we'd love to see you there. Is forgiveness, or the lack of forgiveness, eating away at you? A relationship breakdown maybe, long-term hurt, unresolved conflict. You know, it can be dealt with. If you want to break the cycle and start living a more forgiving life, Forgive to Live is a program designed to help us all improve our lives and be more forgiving. Don't let it eat away at you anymore. If you're keen to discover the power of forgiveness, why don't you take that first step and head to forgivetolive.org.au. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio.
You're listening to Brooke, 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 uh, Brooke Fraser with Faithful here on Faith. There you go. Yeah. That's what we do. Uh-huh. Faithfulness. Faithful. Faith FM. Yes. <laughs> A great New Year's resolution right there to be faithful to Jesus Christ mm. this year. To have more faith. Lawson, nobody's entered the clue for the quiz yet, but no. somebody did call in to talk about bees. Yes. And so I Robert, love from that Rutherford, Robert from Rutherford called in to uh, talk about bees. We need to pray for uh, the fires. Yes. But we particularly need to be praying for the bees because obviously a lot of bees are being wiped out by the fires. Uh, the gum trees are flowering because they are under stress from the drought, which, which is great for the bees, but the fires are terrible for the bees. And we've lost huge swathes of our bee population. And without bees, mm. there's a whole bunch of food we simply do not have because it is not pollinated. And so, yeah, a bunch of bees buzzing around yesterday when we went for our walk, probably because they have been dispossessed of their uh, mm. their place of refuge because it's been burnt and they're looking for a new home. Yeah. Anyway, question of the day. What do you got for us? Okay, question of the day. This is something I'm wondering. It has to do with our Bible study. We talked about Cyrus the Great and how he was named by name 150 years before he was even born and like how amazing that is. We talked about how basically the entire book of Daniel is just like all about Jesus, has all these references to Jesus. Jesus is like the central character. Why then is Jesus not named in the book of Daniel or in any other prophetic book referring to him and prophesying about him um, when it's actually God, like Jesus wasn't a random name, it was actually God who told Mary and Joseph to name Jesus. Jesus. Okay, this is a really good question because you've got um, a bunch of, you know, he's called the Son of God, he's called the Son of Man, this is in the Old Testament, he's called Emmanuel, he's called God with us, he's called the Prince of Peace. You know, there are a bunch of different names in the Old Testament for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So there's mm. no confusion, no question about who yep. this is. We That's know right. who this is. Absolutely. And yet there is no Old Testament prophecy that uses the name Jesus. Now, God is obviously capable of doing that because he did so with Cyrus. So if he can do that with Cyrus, why can't he do that with Jesus and just say, you know, a son will be born and his name will be Jesus mm. in the Old Testament say four or 500 years before it happens. There is possibly a number of different reasons why. First of all, Jesus was an incredibly common name. And so when you've got a nation where like a quarter of the male population are all named Jesus, um, and maybe that's a, a, an exaggeration and maybe it's not, um, that's going to mean that, um, well, it's like, which one? You know, everybody's putting their hand up like, yes, me, because I'm the one. Um, And then you've got all these different derivations of the name Jesus, like Joshua is a version of Jesus, Joseph is a version of Jesus. You've got these these different uh, uh, names that are all another version of Jesus. And so you could have lots of claimants to be the Messiah just based around the name. Mm. And you could have lots of people... They're going to, oh, I'm going to name my child this or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to name my child Jesus because maybe he will be the Messiah. Mm. And you have all these famous people, you know, naming their child. And it just goes, it just goes to create confusion. Yeah. What works better than actually giving a name is to give identifying characteristics. Mm. And the Bible gives over 300 identifying characteristics of the Messiah. And for all 300 to be fulfilled in the life 
of one person is a statistical impossibility. Mm. Only by the fulfillment of that prophecy through supernatural means can um, that, you know, that, that who the prophecy is pointing out be actually accurately identified. Then, of course, you would have the other problem, and this is why apocalyptic prophecy is written in symbols. It's to protect the integrity of the information. Let's say that the prophecy had specified that his name was Jesus. Then you, when, when Herod goes to wipe out you know, all the inhabitants of Bethlehem, he actually knows exactly who to look for in Bethlehem. So mm. rather than do all, all those under the age of two, he would selectively do all of those named Jesus. Jesus. And he might do the entire nation, everybody mm. named the name of Jesus in the entire nation just to be safe because that's the way, mm. the kind of person that Herod was. Yep. And so you'll often find this in apocalyptic prophecy where symbolism is used so that the prophecy is protected from those who would have an agenda to try and change it. This is Chris Tolan.
listening to Chris Tomlin with Jesus Messiah. We've come to the end of the breakfast show. We're Already? about to have a uh, Bible study by Adam Ramden on how to study the Bible, so stay tuned for that. Very good friend of mine. Um, Bible study coming out of the UK. Interesting part of the world right now. Um, mm. But, yeah, already we've come to the end, so what is it we're giving away, guys? Oh, we are giving away a fantastic book, a book that you should read because it is like, it is an answer to prophecy, basically, in, in in a roundabout way. But it's someone's personal testimony about how they were part of an answer to prophecy. Um, it's called A Thousand Shall Fall, and it's about uh, it's a story of a guy named Franz Hassel, who was uh, uh, Franz Hassel, who was a German guy conscripted into the Wehrmacht. He was a believer in the Bible. Second World War. Second World War. Hitler's Nazi army. Yeah, and... What do you do? You conscripted. What do you do? Mate, you just hold close to God. And this guy's testimony about how he dealt with those events as a believer in the Bible is just incredible. But moreover, his belief in the prophecies of the book of Daniel, which we're going to be studying through... He stood up and promoted the... The, the prophecy of the Bible, which went against the Nazi belief, uh-huh. he could have been shot, hung, drawn and quartered for. At his yes. own peril. Like, it is, it is amazing such book. an inspirational book. You've got to read it, Lyle. It's amazing. Oh, I've read that book. <laughs> uh, so it's, it, is, it, is, it is just incredible. Mm. Uh, this guy, out of uh, 6,000 um, people who were drafted in his draft, there were only six who survived. He was one of them. Wow. Well, give us a call, 1-800-324-843, and you can win this book to read completely for free. Please jump on the phones and get this amazing book. And, of course, don't forget to stay tuned because we have Adam Randman coming up with How to Study the Bible. He will be joining us in just a moment after uh, this song at the end of the show. Um, don't forget to talk faith, live faith, act faith, and you will grow strong in Jesus Christ.